Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast that runs on Duncan. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. Uh, we have not received any sort of compensation for this cold open. You know, personally, I run on Caribou. I actually prefer Starbucks for my coffee chain, seeing as I haven't um, looked at a Dunkin' since at least 2007, but... I will say, I honestly have been going to Starbucks a lot more than Caribou, but this is my thing. There's a Starbucks literally, like, across the street now. And I also just don't get coffee from either very often, but... I I didn't want to drink, like, a cup of actual coffee right now, because it's 6 o'clock at night. I desperately want some coffee. And, you know, I need to sleep. So what I've done here is combine some coffee liqueur... And uh, oat milk with a little bit of vanilla oat milk creamer. And it's like a white Russian that doesn't taste like ass. That makes me want to throw up. (laughs) If it was just the liqueur and the oat milk, I think it would be okay. But the addition of the creamer is just a little too much. It's just vanilla flavored oat milk. Yeah, but it's extra sweet. Yes. There isn't already enough sweetness. No, it's not a sweet coffee liqueur. And I don't buy sweetened oat milk because I'm not a monster. Um, excuse me. We'll get into milks later. Um, not in this episode, just like a later. We'll do a mini on milk. <laughs> we're not going to do a mini on milk. We're not. Um, no, we're, we're going to talk about coffee, which I haven't had today. Really? Yeah, I started the day with a cup of green tea, and then I had an energy drink at lunch because I was a little sleepy, and now I feel like there's a hummingbird in my head. That's why I, I don't fuck with energy drinks. No, thank you. I will drink like six shots of espresso in a day, though. So, I of course, I can't talk. I'm not morally superior to you in any way. <laughs> well, for like six bucks, you can get a bottle of Soda Stream Diet Energy Drink mix, and it makes like what, 12 liters of energy drink. Oh my god! And it tastes so just much. like Red Bull, but it's it. It, anyways. So we're going to talk about everyone's favorite type of bean soup coffee and um this is one of those i want to sound smarter at parties episodes so we have a little bit of everything to cover like i'm not i'm not gonna get into how starbucks was founded coffee is a broad topic it's huge <laughs> let's cite my sources of which there are many um so i got most of my information from the national coffee association website Hmm. Uh, Britannica, an article on PBS, thehistoryofcoffee.net, spooneuniversity.com, howstuffworks, seriouslyeats.com, and a wonderful website called theromanguy.com for a segment we'll get to later. Excellent. The National Coffee Association defines coffee as (laughs) berries harvested from species of coffee plants, or coffea. It's Latin, I think, which it just makes the E sound. Oh, yeah. That's my understanding of that Latin pronunciation. Yeah. Which, granted, is not a very sophisticated one, but, you know. Yeah. So this is obviously true, but we know coffee is more of a catch-all term for the berries, the plant, and the liquid they produce, which sounds gross when you say it out loud, but... (laughs) (laughs) Mmm, plant liquid. Mmm, pot bean water. But what is coffee? Well, we're going to find out. It's not a bean, apparently. Oh, yeah, so you did say berries. Yeah, it's actually the pit from inside a red or purple stone fruit called a coffee cherry that isn't a fucking cherry either. (laughs) Who who named all these things? This is who I have a bone to pick with. So when the plants are grown in the tropics, coffee is 
a robust evergreen bush or a small tree that usually grows to a height of roughly 10 to 11 and a half feet. Tam. The white flowers are highly scented and the fruit from them takes about nine months to ripen. I will say my entire understanding of how coffee is grown and harvested comes from Stardew Valley. That's so, not That's not at all how I that assume, works. I assume that is not. You mean I don't need to put five coffee beans into a keg and it will just make a cup of coffee for me? No. The, the process is a little more in-depth than that. The tree of uh, coffee arabica will grow fruits after three to five years, producing for an average of 50 to 60 years. Wow. Although some have gone up to 100 years. Those are some old bushes. Yes. So there are two species of coffee plants, coffee arabica and C. canifora. Um, and they account for nearly all of the world's coffee bean consumption. Arabica is considered a milder and more flavor- flavorful bean than Robusta, which is the main variety of C. canfora. So you have Arabica and Robusta, which I'm sure okay. if you've looked at coffee pack- packages... Arabica especially, yeah, has come up. Um, Arabica plants are more widespread than Robusta, but more delicate and vulnerable to pests, and they require a cool subtropical climate. Uh, They must grow at higher elevations, around 2,000 to 6,500 feet, and they need a lot of moisture, and it has very specific shade requirements. See, it's it's the plants like this I like to point to when people wonder why they can't keep their houseplants alive, and it's because most plants are like this. Like, they're, you know, some are maybe not as specific, but, you know, a lot of plants are have evolved to live under certain conditions, and those conditions are not inside your windowless apartment. Exactly. Um, Latin America, Brazil specifically, Eastern Africa, Asia, and Arabia are the leading producers of Arabica coffee. I have a theory about these that I'll get to in a second. The slightly less picky Robusta bean can grow at lower altitudes from sea level to 2,000 feet. It's often cheaper to produce, has twice the caffeine content of Arabica, and is typically the bean of choice for inexpensive commercial coffee brands like Folgers. Western and Central Africa, Southeast Asia, and also Brazil are major producers of Robusta. And I have to wonder if Arabica, quote-unquote, tastes better and is more delicate on the grounds that it's harder to produce, you know? Yeah, I can see that reasoning. Because humans do that. <laughs> it gets, yeah, as things get more difficult, like you put more value on them mm-hmm. where there may not necessarily be some, be any. And it just sounds like someone somewhere went, yes, the Arabica is superior. And everyone was just like, yes, yes, it is. And mm-hmm. and then we've just kind of evolved to like prefer that taste. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a nutritional anthropologist as hard as I wish, because that's a job you can have that I didn't know about when I went to college. So the story of coffee allegedly begins a long, long time ago, in about 850 AD. The story goes that a goat herd named Kaldi discovered coffee after he noticed that after eating the berries from a certain tree, his goats became so energetic that they did not want to sleep at night. Man, same, same goats. Kaldi reported his findings to the abbot of a local monastery who made a drink with the berries and found that it kept him alert through the long hours of evening prayer. The abbot shared his discovery with other monks at the monastery, and knowledge of the energizing berries began to spread. This is not true. I, I was about to say, I, I doubt the veracity of the story, but I do just love the concept of just, like, people discovering caffeine. Love the goats. I don't see why we had to put priests into it. Like, stop giving them credit for shit. <laughs> I also imagine, like, with, like, 
cheese and whiskey and like kind of the other similar topics that we've covered. It's never like there was a single moment of discovery. It's just like people figured it out, figured it out over the course of some time. Yeah. It is very cute to think about goats hopped up on caffeine. I do love that quite a bit. The earliest credible evidence of coffee as a food slash beverage appears in the middle of the 15th century in the accounts of a Yemeni man named Ahmed al-Ghaffar. Arabia was the first documented place where coffee seeds were roasted and brewed in a similar way to how it's prepared now. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, like how coffee is prepared. Um, Coffee cultivation and trade began on the Arabian Peninsula and spread via your usual trading situation. Um, And by the 16th century, it was known in Persia, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey. Uh, Coffee was not only enjoyed in home, in, in home. (laughs) Coffee was not only enjoyed in homes, but also in many public coffee houses called Cave Cane, which I'm pretty sure I didn't pronounce right. So sue me. Um, And these coffee houses began to appear in cities across the Near East, which I learned when writing these notes is Arabia, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey. (laughs) I knew there was a Middle East and a Far East, but I guess the Near East concept never really occurred to me. Um, These places, these coffee houses were not just for drinking coffee, but for catching up with friends, sharing news, listening to music, playing chess, working on getting their newest screenplay down on papyrus. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say busking. Actually. They did watch performances in coffee houses. So, you, like, you'd hire someone to, like, do minstrel shit or the equivalent in the Near East. And all the art on the walls is local and you can buy it. Coffee houses quickly became such an important center for the exchange of information that they were often referred to as schools of the wise, which is a nickname that was no longer, if ever, relevant in the Western world. <laughs> So with thousands of pilgrims visiting the Saudi holy city of Mecca each year from all over the world, knowledge of this, quote, wine of Araby began to spread. Because, you know, you have a cup of coffee on vacation, you go home to wherever the fuck you're from, and you're like, I had this amazing drink. You gotta tell. Fucking everybody. (laughs) Yes. I mean, we still do now. It's called Instagram. Um, Eventually, European travelers to the Near East, and I think travelers is used um, loosely, Uh, Travelers to the Near East brought back stories of an unusual dark black beverage. (laughs) By the 17th century, coffee had made its way to Europe and was becoming popular across the continent. And here's where the completely unsurprising part happens. I feel like I get to this point in every food history episode that I do. (laughs) Is this going to be the white people ruin it section? Some people reacted to this new beverage with suspicion and fear. Yep. 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 Uh, Calling it, quote, The bitter invention of Satan. That's what most children think about coffee, too. Yes, uh, most likely because it came from Muslim countries. Oh, well, yeah. The local clergy condemned coffee when it came to Venice in 1615, and the controversy was so great that Pope Clement VIII was asked to intervene. I assume because there was money to be made from it, but oh no, Islam. Doesn't he have anything better to do? No, this is very important. Uh, Clement did eventually give his papal seal of approval, deeming it, quote, a Christian drink, and thus making it okay for Christians to drink and, I assume, profit from it. I assume he had some stake in some sort of trading. Yeah, some rich person wanted to make a bunch of money from coffee, so he got them to reverse I mean, that's all you need for anything to be deemed Christian. (laughs) Pretty much. As a fun religious coffee fact, Mormons aren't allowed to have coffee 
Not because caffeine is a drug, at least not originally. They say that's why. But as it turns out, Emma Smith, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism's wife, was sick of her husband's friends coming over for meetings and drinking a ton of coffee and chewing tobacco and stuff. So she made him say that God banned it. Oh my god! So I thought wasn't isn't it just like not even just coffee? It's like it's all hot, hot beverages. beverages. It's hot beverages, yeah. which also includes, I guess, coffee that has been cooled down. But it doesn't include hot chocolate. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think they kind of morphed it into no caffeine, basically. But I don't know if decaf coffee. I don't know that much about modern Mormonism. Or how much this is actually, like, followed. Think of all the rules that the Catholic Church has. Yeah. We're not supposed to be having chocolate right now, Sarah. <laughs> How's your Friday fish fry coming? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> okay. So, despite such quote-unquote controversy, read racism, coffee houses were quickly becoming centers of social activity and communication in the major cities of England, Austria, France, Germany, Holland, and Italy. In England, quote, penny universities sprang up, so-called because for the price of a penny, one could purchase a cup of coffee and engage in stimulating conversation. And yeah. now I pay four fifty for a latte and to sit quietly on a couch with no one talking to me. <laughs> I mean, ideally. Actually, ideally, I would get my latte and then leave, but... <laughs> and not have to interact with a human. I always order mine ahead of time, so like I don't even <laughs> have to order. I could just literally walk up to the counter and take my coffee and go. I do that sometimes, like on Christmas, it's my job to make the Starbucks stop before we go over to my sister's. So I always order it ahead of time. Yeah, much easier. Um, it's less time that I spend in a Starbucks in my pajama pants. <laughs> Coffee began to replace the common breakfast beverages of the time, beer and wine. Those who drank coffee instead of alcohol began the day alert and energized and, not surprisingly, the quality of their work improved. Who knew? Yeah, I think I'd rather go to work with a buzz than a red wine headache. Yeah, I was just say, it's not that doing drugs for breakfast is bad. You just got to do the right drugs. <laughs> By the mid-17th century, there were over 300 coffee houses in London, and many businesses grew out of these specialized coffee houses. Like Lloyd's of London, which is a British insurance company, came into existence at the Edward Lloyd's Coffee House, which had become known as a good place to pick up maritime insurance. I had to look up Lloyd's of London because I was like, oh, is that a coffee place? No. Insurance. Yeah. I feel like most businesses in England are insurance. <laughs> I want you to show your work. It's England. I don't know. <laughs> That's all, all they right, do over there. Just not going to pay Everyone's an insurance salesman <laughs> or a government employee. Yes. I guess that's one question I had about Harry Potter when I was reading it, because it did sound like everybody worked for the government. Pretty much. So it was like your one career. You either worked for the government or you owned a store. Or you played Quidditch professionally. Yeah. But surely there's like someone whose job is in sales for like cauldron cozies or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like potion distribution. I don't know. Spell insurance. In the mid 1600s, coffee was brought to New Amsterdam. New Amsterdam, later called New York by the British, and more accurately called the home of multiple indigenous tribes like the Mohawk and Lenape. Though coffee houses rapidly began to appear in the colonies, tea continued to be the favored drink until 1773, when the colonists revolted against a heavy tax on tea imposed by your friend and mine, Jonathan Groff. <laughs> 
also known as King George III. I'm sure you remember something uh, called the Boston Tea Party. Uh, it, it does ring a bell. <laughs> a Liberty Bell? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> well, after that, uh, coffee became the preferred breakfast beverage of colonists. Um, as demand for the beverage continued to spread, there was major competition to, co- to cultivate coffee outside of Arabia, which was still the main point of production because it had the perfect climate. The Dutch finally got seedlings in the latter half of the 17th century. Their first attempts to plant them in India failed, but they were successful with their efforts in Batavia. Batavia? Batavia, Batavia, I think. I I couldn't even begin to tell you where that actually is. (laughs) Batavia on the island of Java in what is now Indonesia. Yeah, coffee was also cultivated in a Middle Eastern city called Mocha. Or Maka, if you're British. (laughs) The plants thrived, and soon the Dutch had a productive uh, and growing trade in coffee. The Dutch India Trading Company. Um, Mm. Oh, those those shits. They then expanded the cultivation of coffee trees to the islands of Sumatra and Celebes. I think I'm pronouncing, like, every other word correctly, but... I mean, you got Sumatra, right? That's a pretty easy one. So... In 1714, the mayor of Amsterdam presented a gift of a young coffee plant to King Louis IV of France. The king ordered it to be planted in the Royal Botanical Garden in Paris. In 1723, a young naval officer, Gabriel de Cleux, obtained a seedling from the king's plant. And despite a challenging voyage, complete with horrendous weather, sabotage, and a pirate attack... Cheese! Where's this movie? He managed to transport it safely to Martinique. The sabotage is the one that gets me. Yeah, like, I imagine someone kidnaps a plant for I don't know. Like, what would that even entail? He goes downstairs to, like, the below deck, I guess is what you'd call that, and someone is just snipping leaves off. Yeah. Someone's got a scissors. (laughs) For real, though, that's a movie. (laughs) We'll get Taika Waititi on it. I think he's the person I trust with that. Um, So once planted in Martinique, the seedling not only thrived, but it's credited with the spread of over 18 million coffee trees on the island of Martinique in the next 50 years. I mean, that's quite a bit of coffee. It's a lot of coffee. Even cooler is that the seedling was the parent of all coffee trees throughout the Caribbean, South and Central America. God damn. That is one productive plant. Okay, uh, this is this is going to be a fun story. Uh, so the Brazilian coffee industry, which accounts for 40% of all of the beans exported worldwide, owes its existence to Francisco de Mayo Paleta, who was sent by the emperor of French Guiana to get coffee seedlings. The French were not willing to share, but the governor's <laughs> wife, who apparently thought Francisco was a good-looking dude, gave him a large <laughs> bouquet of flowers before he left. And buried inside were enough coffee seeds to begin what is today a billion-dollar industry. That's insane. Horny people get shit done. (laughs) Uh, By the end of the 18th century, coffee had become one of the world's most profitable export crops. And after crude oil, coffee is the most sought commodity in the world. As it should be. Everything either runs on oil or coffee. I mean, assuming there are also major environmental implications to, like, industrial coffee farming, but... Oh, no, it's it's actually... um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I didn't get into it a lot, but the coffee trade in Brazil has caused a lot of deforestation, and there's also the the whole thing where laborers who produce the coffee are not paid fairly at all, um, which is why if you can get a hold of fair trade coffee, you know. That all sounds right, just knowing human history. Yeah. 
If you look into where your coffee is grown to, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy Brazilian coffee, but buy local. Buy Kona coffee. <laughs> it's made in the good old U.S. of Hawaii. Actually going to a coffee um, farm. I hesitate to say plantation, but that is what it's called um, mm-hmm. in Hawaii is on my to-do list. Oh, very cool. So why is it the most sought after commodity? It tastes good. It's amazing on every level. Yes. It tastes good, but also caffeine. Yes. It, it all comes down to caffeine. Humans love drugs. <laughs> Around 90% of Americans consume caffeine every single day in warm, one form or another. Jesus. And I'm assuming the other 10% are like children. Are Mormons. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Uh, more than half of all American adults consume more than 300 milligrams of coffee every day, making it America's most popular drug and maybe the third most fun after weed and shrooms. <laughs> Fair. The difference is that you can actually go to work after drinking caffeine, and it's a lot harder when you're busy staring at your <laughs> bath mat because it breathes when you look at it for too long. <laughs> anyway. How does caffeine work, Sarah? Um, sorcery, I imagine. A little bit. It's more like science, which is not that different from sorcery, if you think about it. <laughs> it's a very bold statement of you, Emily. Magic is just science we don't understand yet. Um, so caffeine is a naturally occurring chemical stimulant called trimethylaxithine. Trimethylaxithine? That's too many syllables. It's a long word. Um, that occurs naturally in not just coffee. And I said it's naturally occurring twice because some people don't believe you. It's found not just in coffee, but also tea and chocolate. Ooh, all the good things. In its pure form, caffeine is a white crystalline powder that tastes very bitter. It is medicinally useful to stimulate the heart and also serves as a mild diuretic, increasing urine production to flush fluid out of the body, which is why you often find it in PMS medications like Midol. Yeah, and it's also why you have to pee so much after drinking coffee. Correct. The very condensed version of how caffeine works in the brain, um, because I don't know enough science words to like get into the whole thing. Picture a nerve cell. Okay, picture it. Uh, to a nerve cell, caffeine looks like adenosine, which is a naturally occurring chemical in your brain that makes you sleepy and also causes blood vessels to dilate. So you produce ad- uh, adenosine over the course of the day. And it's what makes you sleepy, so you go to bed and, like, your organs can get a, get some rest. Caffeine binds to those receptors for adenosine, but caffeine doesn't slow down the cell's activity like adenosine would. So as a result, the cell can no longer identify adenosine because caffeine is taking up all the receptors that it would normally bind to. So it, like, skips past all the sleepy, exactly. sleepy stuff. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so instead of the body slowing down because of the adenosine's effect, the nerve cells speed up. And that is why I'm not drinking coffee right now, despite the fact that I would like to very much, um, because it will fuck with my sleep schedule. (laughs) Yes. It'll fuck with my adenosine. And caffeine also causes blood vessels to constrict because it blocks adenosine's ability to dilate them, which can be helpful in certain medical situations. Mm Mm-hmm. So caffeine's effect on the brain causes increased neuron firing, and the pituitary gland senses its activity and thinks there's some sort of emergency, so it releases hormones that tell the adrenal glands to produce adrenaline, which can cause some of the following symptoms. Pupil dilation, airways opening up, which is why uh, people suffering some from severe asthma are sometimes injected with epinephrine, which causes... Mm. Yeah. Um, makes your heart beat faster, Blood vessels on the surface constrict to uh, slow blood flow from cuts and increase blood flow to the muscles, 
Uh, your blood pressure rises, blood flow to the stomach slows, and the liver releases sugar into the bloodstream for extra energy. It's a lot going on. Yeah, adrenaline does a lot. Um, it's also why caffeine is sometimes used as a, quote, appetite suppressant, because it slows blood flow to the stomach and kind of shuts that whole mm. process down a little. Um, caffeine also increases dopamine levels in the same way that drugs like heroin does. Jesus. In that it slows down your body's absorption of dopamine. So you still have dopamine bouncing around instead of being absorbed into your body ah, where it doesn't okay. make you feel woo anymore. Um, but its effect is much weaker than heroin. I would <laughs> hope so. Uh, and that's why caffeine is so great, but it can also cause problems for some people with like heart conditions or anxiety. It's like heroin, but less bad. But still not great if you have anxiety. <laughs> can confirm. So with our history and science lessons out of the way... Uh, let's take a look at how coffee is harvested and made, and then we'll do our social studies lesson on how uh, different countries like their coffee. And I was going to say, and then you're going to tell me all these new fun coffee recipes, right? Is that the social studies part? One thing I did notice is that there are very few coffee recipes that I saw that sounded gross. I mean, it's hard to ruin coffee. This is true. Okay, so the coffee production process. First, you grow the plants and pick the cherries. Um, so depending on the variety of coffee plant, it takes approximately three to four years for a newly planted coffee tree to start bearing fruit. And the fruit, as we discussed, is called a coffee cherry, and it turns a bright deep red when it's ripe and ready to be harvested. Uh, there's typically one major harvest a year. In countries like Colombia, where there are two flowerings annually, there is a main and a secondary crop. So it, where it grows depends on how many times you actually get mm -hmm. berries. Yeah, kind of depends on the climate and yeah. growing conditions. In most countries, the crop is picked by hand in a labor-intensive and difficult process, though in places like Brazil, where the landscape is relatively flat, the coffee fields are mechanically harvested. Gotcha. And again, this is why it is very important to, like, try to get fair trade coffee when you can, because these people are picking individual fucking coffee berries. Yeah, that sounds like just right for labor exploitation. Yes, uh, and there's only two coffee beans per berry. So... Uh Jesus. Although sometimes there's only one in there and it's like smoother and rounder and it's called a pea berry. And there are some people who insist that it tastes better than the other coffee. But again, I think that's just scarcity, scarcity makes. Thing. Yeah. Um, so after they're picked, you have to process the cherries because you don't grind up the whole fruit and put it in your coffee maker. So there's first the dry method, which is the oldest method of processing coffee. And it's still used in many countries where water resources are limited. The freshly picked cherries are spread out on large surfaces to dry in the sun. And in order to prevent the cherries from spoiling, they are raked and turned around throughout the day and then covered up at night or during rain. Um, depending on the weather, the process might continue for several weeks for each batch of coffee until the moisture content of the cherries drops to 11%. And then there's the wet method, which is a grosser sounding new method. Don't put wet as a descriptor in anything. Yeah. Like, wet burrito? No. Ugh. Just say burrito with sauce. Like, calling it a wet burrito is just awful. That's my own personal gripe. So the wet method removes the pulp from the coffee cherry after harvesting, so the, only the bean is dried with a, like, parchment-like skin left on. You know when you have, like, uh, garbanzo beans? No. Um, what, what else would you call it? The thing you make hummus out of? Chickpeas? Chickpeas. Also, garbanzo beans. Same thing. Um, they kind of have that thin layer on them. Like I will have to take your word for it. I don't think I've ever interacted with a garbanzo bean. Really? Yeah. yeah. No. They're delicious. Or, uh, oh, I've done like chickpeas, but like can't. 
Yeah, I mean, even when they're canned, they still have that, like, thin mm. layer on the outside. But the the point is, the coffee bean will have, like, a thin papery layer left on the outside. Like a clove of garlic, I picture. That would have been an easier to explain uh, <laughs> comparison, yes. You're already in the bean territory. I get it. Uh, so first, the freshly harvested cherries are passed through a pulping machine to separate the skin and pulp from the bean, which I assume involves some sort of mashing uh, the beans are then separated by weight as they pass through water channels. The lighter beans will float to the top while the heavier ripe beans sink to the bottom. Gotcha. They are then passed through a series of rotating drums, which separates them by size. So basically the holes in the drums get smaller and smaller. So you have different grades of beans. Mm-hmm. And after separation and sorting, the beans are transmitted to large water-filled fermentation tanks. Um, depending on a combination of factors, such as the condition of the beans, the climate, the altitude, they'll remain in these tanks for anywhere uh, between 12 and 48 hours to finish the drying process. When fermentation is complete, the beans are rinsed by going through additional water channels, and then they are set out and dried mechanically. Big like, heaters or fans, Yeah, heaters and air and stuff, yeah. So after that, you get to the milling process which is different than grinding. So hulling machinery removes the, like, thin papery layer from wet processed coffee. And uh, if you do the wet method, then there's a hulling machine that removes that that thin layer from the outside that's still on the the wet bean. Mm -hmm. Um, And hulling dry processed coffee refers to removing the entire dried husk, so the cherry, all of that, because it's still on there. Um, Then they go through uh, an optional process called polishing, where it removes any extra of the, uh, the outer layer. Okay. And it's not necessary, but there are some people who say that it makes the bean taste better, but... By polishing it? By polishing it. Um, I guess. I guess if be- you're, like, getting rid of any, like, just excess, not bean stuff. Yeah. Polished beans I are considered to be superior to unpolished ones, but in reality, there's very little to no difference. It's just one of those, this took longer to make. It's nicer. Mm-hmm. It's funny how often that comes up. <laughs> Grading and sorting is then done by size and weight, and the beans are also reviewed for color flaws or any other imperfections. Beans are sized, again, by passing through a series of screens, and they are also sorted using an air jet to separate heavy from light beans, which has to be super fun to watch. Very fan, Very fancy. And then finally, defective beans are removed either by hand or by machinery. Uh, beans that are unsatisfactory due to deficiencies, the, uh, National Coffee Association's word, not mine, <laughs> uh, including unacceptable size or color, over-fermentation, insect damage, unhold. Those are removed. And in many countries, this process is done both by machine and by hand, ensuring that only the highest quality beans are exported. I can't imagine being a coffee bean sorter. No, that would... It, it's mind-boggling just trying to, like... And then we get to a fun part. T- uh, tasting. Yay! My favorite. You're not... Just wait. This is a job for perverts. Um, (laughs) So coffee is repeatedly tested for quality and taste, and the process is unfortunately referred to as cupping. Oh, God. So first, the taster, usually called the cupper, evaluates the beans for their overall, overall visual quality. The beans are then roasted in a small laboratory roaster, immediately ground, and then brewed in boiling water with carefully controlled temperatures. The cupper smells the brew to experience its aroma, which is actually a very important thing. Mm -hmm. Smell and taste are very closely linked. Yes. So after letting the coffee rest for several minutes, the cupper, quote, breaks the crust by pushing aside the grounds that have settled on top of the cup because it's not, um, um, what? Strain. Oh, right. So he breaks the crust 
and again smells the coffee, and then the tasting begins. To taste the coffee, the cupper slurps a spoonful with a quick inhalation, and the objective is to, quote, spray the coffee evenly over the cupper's taste buds, and then weigh it on the tongue before spitting it out. Oh, they don't even get to drink it? Can you imagine? Bummer. Coffees are not only analyzed to determine their characteristics and flaws, but also for the purpose of blending different beans or creating a proper roast. An expert cupper can taste hundreds of samples of coffee a day and still taste the differences between them. I can't taste the difference between, like, the different Nespresso pods I use. <laughs> I, can, I can taste the difference between the different, like, specialty roasts that I have or, like, Trader Joe's Ethiopian blend versus their, like, French roast. Yeah. I can't really tell you what is different, but... I know that they are different. So the next step in the process is roasting. And roasting transforms the green coffee into the recognizable oily brown beans. Uh, Most roasting machines maintain a temperature of about 550 degrees, and the beans are kept in motion throughout the entire process to keep them from burning. Uh, When they reach an internal temperature of about 400 degrees, they begin to turn brown, and the caffeol, a fragrant oil, uh, which is inside the bean, begins to emerge which is why they get oily. Mm, okay. And this process is what produces the flavor and the aroma. And then after roasting, the beans are immediately cooled by air or water. And um, roasting is usually performed in the importing countries. So like they import them from Brazil and then roast them on site mm-hmm. because freshly roasted beans contain volatile oils and flavors that evaporate the longer that it sits. Right. Which is why you always want to uh, store your coffee in whole bean, if possible, in an airtight container. I I used to be told to keep it in the freezer. I'm guessing that's wrong. You should not. Um, yeah. It dries it out. Gotcha. Yeah, the, the cold temperatures in the freezer just suck moisture out of everything. So that's how coffee is made. And I'm going to do a short bit on coffee preparation for anyone who's not sure. It's not just putting the pod in the machine. Really? No, I'm I'm an asshole, and I have a reusable K-cups for my Keurig, so I freshly grind my coffee and put it in. That's lovely, honestly. I wish I had the patience to do that. I do not. I just grind what I need for the week on, like, Sunday. I've never owned a coffee grinder. Um, Shamefully. So, aside from the packaging and sale of the beans, if they're not being made in-house, like, if it's not a coffee shop roasting their own beans, the next step is one that most people do in their own home, which is preparation. Mm -hmm. Um, So the coffee is ground using the aptly named coffee grinder, um, which you can get the electric ones, or you can also get burr grinders. And let me tell you the difference between electric and burr grinders. So the electric ones are the ones you usually see with the blade that spins around and cuts up the beans. And the burr grinders are the ones insufferable people use? Well, Travis has a manual burr grinder. So yes, I gave it to him as a birthday gift. Um, I'm sure it makes very good coffee. It it the difference is that the blade grinder the pieces aren't even, so like they'll all be roughly the same size, but they can be very jagged or like not uniform. Mm-hmm. With a burr grinder, you get Leslie Odom Jr. to come in there and just crush. The- <laughs> that was a dumb joke. It was. <laughs> no, the burr grinder is like two like a metal cone, and then like the reverse of that cone, they kind of fit together. Okay. And the beans fall into the cone and it it grinds them, like it crushes them. So they come out a more even size. I'm sure it makes a lovely cup of coffee. There's something nice too about like the ritual of like grinding the beans. I I imagine, I've never done this, like grinding the beans and like really taking your time with it and then sitting with that and drinking it. Well, the sound of the burr grinder makes me want to like throw something out the window. 
but <laughs> that's a that's my own problem. You do either one of those grinding methods, um, and you grind the coffee beans to the size best suited for the method which you will be brewing. So a chunkier grind works best in French press, where the hot water spends more time hanging out in the grounds. Mm-hmm. Where a midsize is best for drip coffee, like home coffee makers, Keurigs, Nespresso machines, what have you. Actually, is Nespresso coffee or is it an espresso? Uh, it depends. So the original Nespresso machines are just espresso. And I think they have like specifically kind of like, I don't know. I've had I've seen this on the Reddit before, but like the original machines actually like press it or I don't know. something. Are you a that. member but of an Nespresso Reddit? Yeah, before I had to unsubscribe because it was just so useless uh, i thought you were gonna say there's too much drama and i would have had to ask a bunch of follow-up questions <laughs> no it was mostly just like people asking questions about their machines or like them what else were you expecting well i i joined it in the first place because like when i was trying to decide between machines it was very helpful it was not helpful to actually be subscribed to it okay. it was a good reference okay. one-time reference not a good ongoing reference Anyway, so there's the original that does espresso, and it does, like, espresso in Mungo Pods, um, but they have, like, a virtual line now, which can also brew full-size coffees, but it doesn't brew, like, the true espresso. Okay. Something. I don't know. Yeah. So that's- But it can do both. You'll want a more medium grind where the water is dripping through and not, like, seeping in it. Steeping? Steeping. Um, And then you'll use, like, a fine powdery grind for espresso- which Mm -hmm. is just coffee that's been ground very fine and has hot water shot through it at a very high pressure. So it's the same beans. So espresso roast beans doesn't, they're not, they're just normal coffee beans. Like there's no difference between an espresso bean and a coffee bean. It's just how fast the water is shot through it. Yeah. And I think the final product is a lot more concentrated. Like if you order an espresso, it's like teeny tiny little shot. Yeah. So the size matters, like I said, based on the method, because a fine grind can release its oils and flavors a lot faster than the coarse grind. Because if you're making French press and you have a fine grind, like it's just going to sit in there too long. It's going to start getting bitter. Or if you have too chunky of a uh, grind for espresso, it's not going to have enough time to penetrate those big chunks. Right. And like get all of the the good coffeeness out of it. This is where we start getting into where this is my brain as a reference, unless I have to look (laughs) this up. Because we've had many different coffee brewing methods. Like we've had a drip machine, we have a Keurig, French press gets brought out a lot. We had an aero press for we still have it, but it doesn't Ooh. get used very often. And that's like it's a basically a tube with a plunger and you grind the beans very fine. And then it's basically like a manual espresso. So it's not true espresso, okay. but it's close. Because you basically use the plunger and the weight of your own body to you know shoot the yeah. water through the the coffee grinds. Makes a good cup of coffee. It can just be very finicky. I'm sure. Yeah. So now we've made the coffee. What are we going to do with it? How do you take your coffee, Sarah? I typically make a flat white. So I brew a couple shots of espresso and then I steam my milk in my very fancy milk steamer and drink a good old flat white. I do. uh, If I can get it, French press, which Travis makes, I don't fuck with the French press because he never cleans it and I don't feel like cleaning it. But again, that's an issue in my own life. Um, But, you know, French press is optimal or the Keurig. Just a little bit of vanilla or sweet cream creamer. Mm, Nice. I've been very into the oatmeal creamer, but like if I'm getting coffee at a shop, doing a nice just vanilla oat milk or soy latte. Really I say, it. if I'm buying coffee from a shop, it's going to be the most elaborate, like, specialty drink that they make. I, I will try specialty drinks, but 
if there's too many flavors going on, like it's very overwhelming. My general take on it is if I'm not making it in my own home, I'm going to do something that I can't just make at home. During the holidays, since Starbucks doesn't have gingerbread lattes anymore, doing a pump of vanilla syrup and a pump of peppermint syrup makes a candy cane latte that I would highly recommend. Noted. Because I don't like mochas. It's too much. (laughs) I literally made myself pumpkin spice syrup like with pumpkin puree last oh, fall. Oh, real pumpkin. Wow. Yeah. It was very good. It's a common misconception people have with like Starbucks pumpkin spice. There's no actual pumpkin in it because it's just the spice blend that you put in pumpkin pie. It's not supposed to taste like pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Just a, a pro tip. Uh, peanut butter latte is also surprisingly good. Oh, yeah, I bet. I, I did have a good rose oat milk latte from a local coffee shop. Oh, that sounds lovely. Got some lavender syrup in the cupboard that oh. I should drag out again. And rose syrup, actually, too. I love lavender and rose lattes. I've been, I, I really, I bought like pistachio syrup like forever ago and didn't really use it. And then all of a sudden, like it just clicked like in the last couple of months and I went through the whole thing. Mm. I used the last of it today and I'm very sad. But I have other syrups to use before I can rebuy that. I can also get down with hazelnut syrup if it's not too sweet, which I know it's a syrup. So like, you know, what are you going to do? But yeah, I always go very light on my syrups if I mm. use them because I don't actually want it to cover the taste. Like I just it needs to be just a little bit sweet, you know? Yeah, just a hint. Although if I'm doing black coffee, super sweet black coffee. It's dope. Mm. That's fair. So let's talk about how people in other countries do it. On all of the lists of, like, international coffee drinks, the one that came up for the United States was always iced coffee. Yeah, sounds about right. Although in Greece, that's where frappes, like, really took hold. Oh, so interesting. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, it's a warm place. Yeah. So we're going to start in Turkey with Turk Kvese. Um, So roasted and finely ground coffee beans are simmered in a special copper or brass pot called a sezve? Sure. Kesve. It's a C-E-Z-V-E. So... C E yeah I'm I'm just going to take your word for it. Yeah. Um so Turkish coffee is special in that it's prepared unfiltered so the grounds settle to the bottom kind of like loose leaf tea. Mm, yeah. Um it's strong as fuck and usually served with just sugar, no cream. Turkish coffee will wreck your shit if you're sensitive I to caffeine. Bet. And then there's espresso romano from Italy, which we'll talk about Italy a lot in a little bit. So espresso romano is just a shot of espresso with a little bit of lemon. Interesting. Yeah. Italians are very particular about their coffee and prefer it, like their pizza, simple. Yeah. Italy owes its strong coffee culture to Milanese inventor Luigi Bezzera, the most aggressively Italian name. (laughs) In 1901, Bezzera came up with the idea of forcing pressurized water through a handful of coffee powder to produce a short, concentrated drink called espresso because it could be prepared expressly for each customer and because the water had to be expressed through the coffee. I get it. Yeah, I I heard a version where he invented this because he was tired of his employees taking such long coffee breaks that he decided to come up with a way <laughs> to make a smaller, more concentrated coffee quickly. Interesting. That's funny. That makes sense. You know, just in capitalism. Of course. Uh, and then we have from Vietnam, egg coffee. I'm intrigued. So this drink consists of egg yolks, sugar, and sweetened condensed milk, and Robusta coffee, which doesn't come up that often. Hmm. So it's super, super caffeinated. Honestly, I'm into it. Um, So this blend is so rich that it's sometimes subbed in for a meal. So it's basically like a coffee protein shake. Well, yeah. I mean, if you got some egg yolks in there, that's a full meal. 
Yeah. And it makes it really thick and rich. Um, but personally, I'm a bigger fan of Safeda, which I think that's how it's pronounced. Fa da, whatever. It's Japanese. It's Vietnamese iced coffee. Ooh. Um, which is just super strong coffee brewed straight into a cup of condensed milk and ice through a French drip filter. Damn. So hungry for coffee. It, I <laughs> fucking love Vietnamese iced coffee. Ugh. Um, and then if you head over to Spain, you have Cafe Bonbon, Ooh. which is a very French name. That sounds very delightful. Spanish-style coffee. And it's not Spanish coffee like you get at a bar where they light it on fire and all of that shit. <laughs> um, it originated in Valencia, and it is prepared as half espresso and half sweetened condensed milk served in a glass. God. Hot. Um, <sighs> if I'm not... It sounds so good. <laughs> a lot of sweetened condensed milk going on, but it sounds very good. That was also part of that pumpkin spice uh, syrup recipe that I made last fall, which is part of the reason it was so good. If I'm not completely, like, fucking up my world history, Vietnam had some Spanish colonists roll through at one point. That's um, entirely possible. Which might explain the similarities between Vietnamese iced coffee and Spanish coffee. Vietnam also had the French in there at one point, so. Yeah, I believe they were a French colony, but I could be wrong. Um, and then we're we're going to move on over to China, who has... Yanyang, which is a popular drink in Hong Kong, which is a British or is, was, was a British colony, was a British colony. The name translates to coffee with tea. And it's exactly what it sounds like. I'm on board. All of these sound great. I would drink any of these. It's prepared by mixing three parts coffee to seven parts milk tea, um, which I fucking love milk tea. And Hong Kong style milk tea is dope as shit. What's especially if the, you get- I don't know if I've had that before. I mean, I'm assuming it's some combination of tea and milk. I get it usually with um, boba in it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hong Kong um, milk tea is tea, so probably a black tea. But they used evaporated or sweetened condensed milk in it. So Gotcha. Man, now I really want bubble tea. Anyways, uh, it can be served hot or cold, this, this coffee and tea mixture, which cold sounds really, really good. All of it sounds so good. And then we're going to hop on over to Ethiopia. The home of coffee, where the first coffee forests were found. Um, and they have a drink called a Bunya Buna. Um, and Ethiopia is known for traditional coffee ceremonies in which making and serving the coffee can last up to a few hours, much like a Japanese tea ceremony. Yeah, definitely similar vibes. So typically their coffee is served with salt or butter. Ooh. Which, if I'm not mistaken, there's like bulletproof coffee, which is... Yeah, this kind of feels like a tech finance bro kind of thing. It is. It's for people who are into the keto lifestyle because the butter makes it super creamy, which just put heavy cream in it. I mean, I'm sure also the like also like just butter and coffee could be fun and good to drink without having to have make a lifestyle out of it. Yeah, without it being like this makes my brain work better than yours thing. Yeah, which is yeah. Um, And then in Saudi Arabia, we have Alkawa which is um, a coffee that's not only found in Saudi Arabia, but other Arabic countries. And it's typically made with cardamom, which is an expensive spice found in South Asia. Uh, Kind of tastes Christmassy. Hmm. Yeah. Like really warm. Um, And it's commonly served with dates, dried fruits, or nuts as a side. So a nice, like, spicy cup of coffee with some dried fruit. Yeah. (sighs) Emily, why don't we record this at nine in the morning? I'm sorry. Just look at what you have to look forward to tomorrow. I'm going to have so much coffee tomorrow. Got to make up for it. It's only going to get better because we're going to move on to Mexico where they have uh, Cafe de Ola, uh, which is made with cinnamon and piloncillo. Piloncillo. Fuck. <laughs> Hold on. 
Sounds like a lot of syllables. Yeah, it's made with cinnamon and a native Mexican sugar. Great. Uh, This coffee is popular all over Latin America, and part of what gives it its distinct taste is its preparation in earthen clay pots, which I imagine kind of give it like a deep, darker... Yeah, I'm sure it kind of absorbs some of the the clayness, I guess. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, on our international coffee tour, we have Café Olé, which is from France, and also, by extension, New Orleans, (laughs) which is where I have had it. Um, It's really just coffee served with steamed milk. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, It's the middle ground between regular-ass coffee and a latte, because France wasn't really reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. All right. So to close out the episode, I have a guide on how not to look like an asshole while ordering fancy espresso drinks, especially in Italy, but also probably in Portland, Seattle, and Brooklyn. (laughs) So I'm just going to go over the 14 most popular espresso-based drinks, what makes them different from one another. And uh, yeah, so we'll start with just espresso which is plain espresso. And like I said- Very good on its own. Yes, you can use any coffee beans to make it. Just grind them far enough, far enough, small enough, and uh, use an espresso machine. Yes. What's very important about espresso is the crema on top, which are kind of like the bubbles that form as it's being shot through high pressure, because that's where a lot of the flavor is. Yeah. And texture. You can also get adobio, which is an Italian word meaning double, which just means that it's two shots of espresso. That's usually my go-to. At least two shots. Uh, Then there's the cappuccino, which is one of the world's most popular espresso drinks. You can find it in almost every part of the world. Including gas stations. Including gas stations. But a real cappuccino is made using one-third espresso, one-third steamed milk, and a third foam from said steamed milk. My understanding is that the difference between a lot of these is just the thickness and amount of foam. Pretty much. And also, it is considered strange in Italy to order a cappuccino after breakfast time. Interesting. Okay. Definitely have done that. In Italy, though? Yes, in Italy. Sarah. No. I was 20. What do you want from me? Not to drink cappuccinos after <laughs> breakfast. I was in Italy, Emily, and they were all so good. Well, next up, we have the latte, which I have a fun picture for the slideshow of some latte art that the barista made for me last week. Oh, delightful. It's a kitty. Oh, yeah, it's a little Japanese coffee shop down the street that I'm sure I will take you and Sadie to because they have the jiggly cheesecakes and they have cakes that look like little bears. I desperately need to be there tomorrow. It's fantastic. Um, So a latte is a latte is the Italian word for milk, but it's made using a third espresso, two thirds steamed milk and a thin layer of foam. And then you have the mocha which is a latte, and the breakdown of this is great because this Italian guy just did the fucking math. Uh, It's a third espresso, one-sixth cocoa or chocolate syrup, a third milk, and a sixth foam. Very precise. And next is the flat white, which would you like to explain what a flat white is? (laughs) I will try. It is, I I couldn't tell you the exact proportions, but it's espresso, and then it's like, it's a certain kind of steamed milk, but like steamed to the point where like it forms like a microfoam rather than mm-hmm. like a thicker latte foam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there isn't like actual much foam. It's a very thin layer of very fine foam foam on top. Yeah. It's a latte with less milk, which makes it stronger. Mm-hmm. A third espresso, two thirds steamed milk, and then microfoam. Yeah. Uh, next is the macchiato, which has nothing to do with caramel, as I learned like a year ago from Travis. <laughs> It's an espresso drink with only a small amount of milk or foam on top of a single or double shot of espresso. So basically, the milk is just there to make it taste less like straight espresso. Yeah. Which we also have the Americano, 
which got its name due to being the preference of American soldiers during World War II because uh, espresso was too strong. Yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. And that's just espresso diluted with hot water. It's coffee. <laughs> Basically, yeah. It's just like you brew it the espresso way and then add water to it rather yeah, it's than complicated to, like, coffee. make up for the... I'm sure there's a taste difference somewhere. I'm sure it's more of a, like, a rounder taste. Yeah, know, it, but there is, but it's not... I would say not substantial for anyone that's not a coffee connoisseur. Some coffee snob is going to fucking email and tell us exactly why we're wrong, but... We will delete your email. We don't care. <laughs> Ristretto is an espresso shot made using half of the water but the same amount of coffee. It has a more concentrated flavor. It's mm-hmm. it's espresso for very serious Italian men named Giuseppe who have somewhere to go on their, <laughs> their little Vespa. And then there's the, I think it's pronounced Longio, which is the opposite of a Ristretto. It's made using the same amount of coffee but doubling the amount of time it takes to pull the shot. So due to the longer time the water goes through, the volume of the shot will be larger and will have a bitter and weaker taste, which does not sound good. And then you have a long black, which I had never heard of before, which it's, I guess it's a drink in Australia and New Zealand, and it's similar to an Americano. Um, and the difference okay. is how it's mixed with the hot water. So when you make a long black, um, a double shot of espresso is poured over hot water, and it also helps retain the crema on top of the coffee, whereas okay, so the Americano... It's opposite direction. Instead of pouring water into the espresso, you pour the espresso into the water. Yes, I heard in Australia the espresso. (laughs) They literally make it upside down. It's an upside down Americano. (laughs) If you're a super snobby guy that I used to date, you can have a cortado. Oh, I love a good cortado. It's for people who want strong coffee but don't want it to be too bitter. So it's half espresso and half steamed milk. It's a latte for people who like like milk more. (laughs) It's a latte for people who are too good for lattes. Yeah, pretty much. Has to be served in a glass. I don't... There's the brevet, which is known as a half and half. (laughs) Uh, It means... The name brevet means short and concise, and it is made using espresso and half whole milk and half cream. So I guess it is technically... Technically half and half, Half and half. A brevet is also known as being an American version of the latte, which I didn't know that was a thing that we were known for. I feel like the American version of a latte is just like a latte. I cannot handle half Granted, and half with in a probably latte. more sugar, but. Oh my God. Once I was going through like a low carb phase because I was stupid and I ordered a latte with heavy cream as the dairy. Uh huh. Never, never do it. Don't do it. That's a, that's a lot of cream. That's so much heavy cream. Just get soy milk and be happy. Um, and here's a fun one. There's the affogato, which is a dessert, but it's a scoop of vanilla gelato with hot espresso poured over it. Oh, goddamn. So a few last notes. <sighs> well, now I need to get gelato. We actually, when I worked at the uh, um, olive oil and vinegar place, we had an espresso balsamic. Oh, Super damn. good on vanilla ice cream. I had that at um, Young Joni once where they did soft serve with olive oil as a topping, olive oil and sea salt, and it was so good. I spent weeks trying to recreate it. Um, Yeah, olive oil ice cream is pretty good. So there are a few final notes to remember when you're ordering coffee and you want to be a snob about it. (laughs) One, the crema is important. You can tell a lot about how the espresso is going to taste just by looking at the, the bubbles on top of it, basically. Good crema is brown and has a thick, like airy quality to it. 
like a blanket of bubbles over your espresso. Espresso is meant to be drunk quickly. So an espresso drink is meant to be drunk while the crema is still on top. And the crema acts like a lid to keep all of the aromas of the coffee in. Keeping all the flavor in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do this personally, but I know several people who will take like six or seven hours to like finish a coffee. Oh, I can't. No. Like they'll they'll bring one in in the morning and then it will be noon and then they're reheating it in the microwave. And I... I, yeah, I don't know how that even happens. As I've noted before, cappuccino should be avoided after breakfast. Espresso can be had at any time of the day, but cappuccino after breakfast is frowned upon in Italy. In Italy, milk-based coffee drinks are reserved for the morning time. (laughs) Okay, so it is all milk-based, I was going to say. It's milk-based. It's not just cappuccino. Okay, that does make sense, because I was like, so literally, like, it's just too much foam for after breakfast. (laughs) But I learned this from, um... Someone I follow on Instagram, um, if you order a latte in Italy, they will just give you milk. It's not really a thing. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really translate. No, because latte is just the Italian word for milk. For milk. Yeah. But yeah, that's my full caffeinated rundown on coffee. I hope you have enough to sound like an asshole at parties or at Starbucks now. I am desperate, desperate for like eight different kinds of coffee right now. Honestly, I would kill for a coffee with Coke right now. <laughs> <sighs> Which is not listed on my my thing, but it is delicious. Even if you don't, like, buy specifically the coffee with Coke, you can just make that. I'm literally just, like, gonna go straight to bed to make the coffee come sooner. Wait, hold on. Travis, can you come here for a second? Oh, dear. Um, No, Travis's dad used to run a cafe, and he made a, a drink, Rocket Fuel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rocket Fuel. That was... Uh, he shot espresso directly into uh, the coffee cup with vanilla syrup already in it, so it kind of caramelizes the syrup. And then he would add black coffee to that to like make it like a coffee latte, I guess. But then he would finish it off with Coca Cola, and it just like gave it like a weird, like kind of spicy bite to it. But it was just a whole lot of caffeine. I think he made that when he was in the process of like opening the cafe and needed a super caffeinated drink. Interesting. I love it. You can also it. get a drink called a red eye, which is just a shot of espresso dumped into drip coffee. Yeah, I was just saying they do that at Caribou and it's called like a depth charge or something. Yeah. I've gotten those once or twice, usually when I was working on a campaign. I've had a red eye once and I regretted it because I am a little bit sensitive to caffeine. <laughs> Although I did go through a period where like I lived on coffee. Like I think all of my drinks were caffeinated, but it was when I was younger and didn't care about my heart. Right. Yeah. I I distinctly remember one of my first internships, like that was when I first started getting into coffee. So I would like make a whole like 16 ounce thermos to bring to work. And then I would refill it like two or three times that day. Oh, God. And just like by noon, I was literally, I literally had the shakes, but it was great. I loved it. (laughs) can see through time and space. Again, like 20 years old. Um, All right. So if you have a favorite coffee drink that we did not mention, um, you can tell us on Twitter at Afternoonified. Or Instagram at Afternoonified. Ooh, send us pictures of your latte art. Yes, please do. We'd love that. Um, we are also at getafternoonified.com if you want to see our merch. Um, donate if that's your thing. Look at past episodes, although you can pretty much just do that on your podcatcher. There's uh, afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com if you want to email us directly. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. I love reviews that are they're nice. Great. As long as they're nice. All right, guys. See you later. Bye, we love you. What 
up, So Below listeners? It's your boy Shane Hosey, and I want to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Hosey Hustle. Every other week I sit down with a guest and we talk about product and service submissions from you, the listener. Terrible ideas, like cigarettes for dogs. And we'll sit there and we'll talk about how to make them ready for the big scary economy. Basically, we take bad ideas and we make them worse. So why don't you give us a listen? The Hosey Hustle, part of So Below Media. Now get back to the show you were originally listening to. You probably like it a lot. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.